you're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for this special episode of the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. Today, we're talking about the Myers-Briggs in your marriage. So excited to do this episode with you. Listener requested, yes, I have studied the Myers-Briggs professionally in my clinical psychology studies at Wheaton College, and then I've also used the test administered and actually have the same test results over 20 years. So maybe a few shifts here and there, but overall, it's been cool to see that that has remained static and And I hope for you that whether you know this measure or if you're just being introduced to it today, that you really enjoy it. I also want to remind you that we're deep diving on this topic on the Wednesday episode series so that you know you can catch it anytime on Apple Podcasts by subscribing. And we are just diving in and delving in for a while. So it's going to be a cool series and really supplement your Enneagram learning. And I also want to let you know that if you're in my collective, my membership group, you're already getting this. So don't sign up on Apple. Apple if you're already in my membership group. And we're going to talk about it at this month's meeting also. And if you're a coach, we're talking about it. So we love to continue learning here. And that's really why I want to remind you of the Enia Summit as well. If you're listening live, that's just five days away. And we're going to be talking all about the Enneagram and love and relationships. Guys, a lot of times I get asked on my podcast, are you going to be talking to this or that guest about this or that topic? And frankly, I have to make a lot of decisions and I actually use my MBTI functions to make those decisions and talk to Wes, who has a different typology than me sometimes, because there's different pieces of that than Enneagram. But right now I have five or six people saying, can I get on your show? And you know, the truth is sometimes they're not good fit, but the Enneas Summit is a huge yes, because there is absolutely no question Our topic, Enneagram, love and relationships, yes. So I hope you're saying a big yes yourself to this summit as well, because it's free to you with over 20 speakers. And we have the extra all access pass so that you can deep dive into bonuses over $1,000 worth of bonuses for far cheaper. And hopefully you can share with your friends and family as well. I'm really geeked out for Suzanne Stabile's Q&A. I love learning from her. I love her style, but some of it I won't catch. And so that's where that all access pass comes in handy is actually have a really big week next week. So I'm grateful for getting to share there with you on conflict and also all of the other speakers, especially excited for Elizabeth Bennett. She's one of my favorites. If you remember, we had her on the show. She's a type four, Jesse Eubanks, Christy Rolls. I love Christy. She actually used to live by me and we used to meet when we were first Enneagramming together. Dave and Betsy Bell, Colton Simmons, Olympia, TJ Wilson, Sam Greenberg. There are so many others. I hope you will join us for this special event and make sure you put it on your calendar or get that extra pass so that you don't have to miss anything. Okay, so let's dive in to the Myers-Briggs in your marriage. I'm 
only going to talk historically for just a couple minutes because this is a shorter episode today. Like I said, get our deeper dive episodes if you want even more. But what we're really talking about today is that the Enneagram is a great tool. We know that already. That's a given. We know that it came through ancient math, science, faith. We have all kinds of people from all different backstories, including psychoanalysts who have contributed to the Enneagram. And it definitely is a favorite amongst many of us. Now, the Myers-Briggs came along a little later under Carl Jung, who was looking to see different archetypes and patterns. And his work is very heady. Uh, this whole book that he wrote that leads us to Myers-Briggs, we had a reader of this book who really loved what she was walking through. And that was Catherine Briggs. And her daughter and her, Isabella Myers-Briggs, developed patterning off of Carl Jung's work. Okay, I said I wasn't going to get that deep. I'm getting kind of deep. So I'll just suffice it to say they chatted with him, tried to make something that during the post-World War II times would be good for career typing, also for child rearing. And that was that, right? Now we have this new test or measure birthed. Now what has become of Enneagram and Myers-Briggs as we both know or all know, I always think I'm speaking to just one person here, but all of us here, um, we know that people sometimes take it too much as a test and less as just a lexicon of human study. And I just want to remind you of that, that uh, these are all facts in the sense that they probably make sense to you when you say, oh, I know I'm an Enneagram 6 or I'm an ENFJ, whatever your typology is, you probably have a sense for that. But I also want to help you to hold it fairly lightly as we're processing today and even to do the same thing with your partner so that you allow yourself to be more than just a type and that you allow yourself to realize that humans can never be fully caged and fully assessed because we are so fluid. We have neurogenesis all the time. Our cells regenerate every seven years. You know the whole drill. So we do move and change, even though my type's been the same for 20 years here with the Myers-Briggs. It's also changed for a few years uh, at one point with one letter. So I do feel like there's some adaptability and I do want to make sure that when you're processing with me today, that you also know that you can, in the show notes, I have Trudy's measure for the Myers-Briggs also. So you can even recheck yourself, make sure it's right, and also enjoy it here with me as I walk you through the basics. So the four letters that make up the Myers-Briggs typology are not going to have anything to do with the Enneagram. So I just want to right away assess that we have our Enneagram work over here, and now we're talking about about Myers-Briggs. But we can later talk about, yes, there are pieces of each that we can take together. But I just wanted to make sure you knew that I wasn't going to make that dynamic um, because I really think that they're also helpful to study apart. And I think that's a great place to start. I think it gets way too complex if we put them together at first. So let me start you by getting a pencil and paper or the notes section of your phone. Even if you have done this uh, a while back, like I said, sometimes there are little shifts, so it's good to to just reassess where am I at with my Myers-Briggs and maybe you've never taken it but there's four letters so make some space like you're going to play hangman and then four letters across your page and the first one is going to be either an E or an I and one of the best parts about the Myers-Briggs actually perhaps the type 
that is really most important out of the four in the sense of how the world has changed from the Myers-Briggs is this first letter. And that's because it helps us to determine whether we're introverted or extroverted. And for those who experience the world's energy with that sense of outwardness and they feel like the real world is on the outside and that that's where they derive their energy from, that is more of your classic extrovert. They like sharing. They usually, and I say usually because you'll see why in a moment, but they usually like like talking more, spending time with others, less reserved. They usually like groups and they really like getting that energy from others. They understand the synergy of community and they're not as afraid of that as they are of being alone. Now we're all on a continuum. So you're definitely not all extrovert or all introvert, but if you even have a very slight advantage to one of the sides. That's the the letter that you're going to put down for your Myers-Briggs typology. And that's helpful for you to just say, you know what? I lean towards this one so that you can start really capitalizing on that in your life and relationships better, as well as learning from the part of you that may be dampered. And sometimes if we get deeper in, uh, which we will do on our other episodes, we'll talk about how there's these auxiliary functions so that you can understand that sometimes we're missing pieces. But suffice it to say for now that you write that E or that I to help you to discern whether you're really looking at the world from that extroverted place or the introverted place, which introverts by nature usually like drawing energy from their internal world and spending time by themselves helps a lot too. And that's for them the real world. They usually are less talkative and more emotionally reserved. Again, it could be very close, but it's really important that if you're with an introvert or are an introvert, that the people that are together with you, focus on being respectful to this too. Uh, And we do know that introverts and extroverts are about a 50-50 ratio in the world. Um, So that's helpful to know. Okay, well, let's look at the next letter. And that is where we have some of us who are sensors with the letter S and some of us who are intuitive. And that's the letter N because we've just used the letter I for introverting. So whether you're an S or an N will be written in to this next section and allow yourself time to sit with the fact that if you're sensing this is a space of seeing the world through the senses. And it might be the five senses, but it might also be that you're very oriented to time and just aware of your surroundings so highly that you're keyed in on, okay, maybe even if I'm introverted, doesn't have to be just extroverted people who can be sensing. It could be even that you're an introvert and I, either way, you're noticing the world around you. And for an introvert, they would say, gosh, it's because the world around me is so vibrant that I need to come back within. And for an extrovert, they just say, no, here I am out here and everything in my world is out here. I'm sensing it and I love being part of it. So that S is really important for those who really love to experience new things. And they're usually curious and practical and love the facts. And they like to concentrate on what's in front of them and often work with uh, things in front of them which is so helpful to know about yourself. If you're looking for a career and you're a sensing type, you can really allow yourself to just dig in or for your hobbies to be hands-on. And again, sometimes when that's not ours, we can even learn from that part of ourselves. So the other piece, the intuition, that N, is for somebody who really experiences their world 
from this interior space of, okay, when I'm looking to see what's happening, not only do I have my ways of drawing energy, but I also notice that I love new ideas with my intuition. And I love to see how everything connects in the world. And I love big picture ideation and thinking, and I don't want to overly focus in on details and specifics. And they usually do better in careers, not needing as much hands-on. And for them, it's more about thinking creatively and solving complex problems. So I really like to notice this for career too, because I think it makes a big difference and it might help you in your career right now, even to allow yourself that. Now, the next letters we have are going to be the T or the F, and that's going to be whether you are thinking more or if you're feeling more. And for those of us who are kind of wondering, it does not always mean you're in the thinking triad if you're a thinking type. It means instead that you love logic and considering facts when making decisions. It doesn't mean that you're always worried about your security. And that we know with Enneagram is more about that. Um, But let's put this back on. Myers-Briggs, I didn't even want to stray over there, but I just had to. Um, So if you're a thinking type, you like to follow your head when making a decision and you like to look at all the options and just really less about feelings and more about this sort of like, what are the rules? Whereas if you are not as much of a systems thinker, but more of a feeler, you're going to be saying, how? are these rules going to affect me and my values and compassion for my neighbor and myself and my feelings? And I'm more empathic and I'm just considering everybody here just like that thinker is in the sense that we all care, but we care differently. And so instead of looking at just kind of setting feelings aside, feelings are a big part of it all. And so feelers have that communication style where they're not as worried about being over-emotional. It's more all about that. And they are honest in the way of emotionality uh, versus having to just be direct and leave the emotions out. So now as your T or your F, And of course, if you're a thinker, you're probably doing things that are more about reason and not as worried about, you know, hurting others' feelings. And of course, if you're in that space of feelings, you're like, I want to be part of jobs and relationships where we talk about that and we get really close in that way. Um, And again, these types can really benefit from each other too, hugely. So those who uh, really look at the last letter with me here, I hope you're hanging on. Take a pause if you need to go back. But we have here our final letter, and that is whether you're going to have the J for judging or if you're going to have the communication style of the perceiving, which is the P. And that one is um, also tricky in the sense that when we say judging, it doesn't mean that you're this judgy person. It means that you really like structure, organization, and order. And another way of saying that is that you like for your outside world to be organized in order to have inner peace and freedom. And then if you're the perceiver, you like to have this freedom in the outside world so that you can come back in and perceive and feel safe inside of yourself. So judging types are careful with their time. They abide by uh, meeting times and communicate clearly, and they love that structure. They prefer to plan ahead with rules and schedules. And then those who are perceiving really need and love to be 
flexible, spontaneous. They don't like rigidity rules and processes as much, and they prefer the flow of an actual situation. They don't want to be controlled, and they focus on being encouraging and upbeat um, and, and sometimes unpredictable. And so those two people often find each other and spend a lot of time together and really help to change and shift each other. But I just want to, as we're noting this last letter for you, I want you to understand that by developing these strengths, you're guarding against weaknesses and you're not as much trying to decide which is better. Because this is not one of these vertical systems like Maslow's hierarchy of needs that I talk a lot about. Um, that's more moving up from security into like relationship safety and then into this pinnacle, hopefully, of helping the world. And this is more horizontal together where we're just noticing trait differences. And the very best way that you can work with your partner is to know their letters and to allow them to be who they actually are and to support them there. It is so miserable when you see couples who are faking being the other one and having to shift and just, it's so uncomfortable. So make sure that you allow your spouse or partner to be who they are, to respect that. And also stand up for you being exactly who you are with your Myers-Briggs. And now I want you to look down at your paper and see your four letter combo. And if you feel like that was just a lot for you, or you were in your car, a lot of you are jogging, a lot of you are at the gym, a lot of you are driving or grocery shopping, then come back to this and, or visit the notes for the Truity test so you can take it and know that, as I said, you are more than a test or measure, but it's helpful to know and allow yourself to really learn from it too and to glean and come with me on a deeper dive as well. And don't forget the NES Summit too. So thanks for hanging out today and I'll talk to you soon, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you loved today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as anyramandmarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.